I'm Chris Doolin, and you're listening to Discussing Trek. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS all-access series Star Trek Discovery. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story himself, Kyle Jones. How you doing, man? I am glad to be back after being off last week. I'm glad to be back, but I want to say again, kudos to the two of you. Very much enjoyed the episode on my drive home the other day. So cool, uh, but I'm glad to be back. <clears throat> also on tonight's episode, we have the trick story himself, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, dude? Doing well, man. Doing well. Glad to be here. Um, surprised I'm here. I've been worked two 15-hour shifts the past two days, so I probably don't even remember the show right now. <laughs> you're running on dilithium fumes is what you're saying? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> There's coffee in that nebula. Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. All right, guys. Well, does anybody have any news related, Trek related news or otherwise that they want to bring up real quick? John, I think you had something. Uh, yeah. So they've announced uh, a new director for which seems to be the pilot episode of Patrick Stewart series we're coming out with. Uh, Hanel Culpepper. Awesome. 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 And, and also we got the announcement of season three of Star Trek Discovery has been greenlit. And Cal, I think you have the co-showrunner for season three that's going to join Alex Kurtzman. What's, the, what's her name? That is correct. She will be joining Alex, like you just said, Alex Kurtzman. And her name is Michelle Paradise. From the originals fame. That's a show I've never seen. So um, Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. Now she's going to stay on permanently? Uh, it says Cole Showrunner, so I'm thinking she's going to be in there for the long haul of season three. Yep, that's the way it looks. Um, you know what? I did read something about that, and I think I read the Alex Kurtzman, Kurtzman saying, making the comment that she was more of a trick buff than he was. Oh, really? Wow. That's interesting. Maybe bodes well for the show, actually. <laughs> I'm hoping so. As as they continue to get things more in line with canon, uh, as witnessed by this episode we're about the review, that <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. a bit anyway. Um, so, guys, are we ready to go ahead and jump into the review of The Light and Shadows? Uh, let's go for it. Let's do it. Let's do it, guys. Star Trek Discovery, Light and Shadows. Burnham goes to Vulcan in search of Spock, where she unearths surprising family secrets. In researching what is left of the Red Angel's signal over Kaminar, Pike and Tyler end up in a battle with time itself. Giorgio has a few tricks up her sleeve for Leland and Section 31. If you haven't seen this episode, guys, go and watch it because spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. And we are back, and I just want to get the high-level, 30,000-foot view of this episode from you guys. What are your initial thoughts on this episode? And I'm going to start with you, Jonathan. Again, another great episode, man. I, they continue to give us good episodes one after another. Uh, this one actually provided a lot of mystery and a lot of insight for, for me, so... 
it, it, it was good. It was interesting to watch. Awesome. What about you, Cal? While I enjoyed last episode, I think I wholeheartedly enjoyed this one more. There was wow. a sense of urgency, and I I liked the fact that we got somewhat of a payoff of something we've been building toward. So I really now not saying I didn't enjoy last episode, but I really enjoyed this episode. Hmm. Uh, this is the one of the episodes that I enjoyed more upon second viewing. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in there, but it felt to me more of a explainer or kind of a, in a sense, a filler episode because um, I don't know. It just seemed like it was tying some loose ends and then introducing some more uh, uh, intrigue and mysteries for the rest of the season. So overall, really? Yeah. Yeah. Overall, filler. I didn't love it, man. I think they, of course, there was two sections. There was the whole Vulcan trip thing and there was the time rift thing. To me, they just didn't feel very consequential to me. And they felt clumsy in a lot of ways. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to be uh, the, the downer here, but <laughs> I do think I enjoyed it. But to me, it had a lot of, I don't, to me, it felt clumsy in a lot of ways. I think we could have done without the time rift thing, but. Far from a filler to me. I don't know. Mm, hmm. mm. See, I'm I'm going to and Jonathan. I almost was about to say before you made that last statement. I was going to say I'm wholeheartedly on your side of this debate until you said they could have done without the time riff thing. And then I said, <laughs> okay, I got to shift a little bit further back in Clarence's direction. I think that the time rift was totally essential to the whole story that we're uncovering. And I didn't see this as a filler episode at all. I saw this as one of my favorite type of episodes where you give a payoff, but at the same time you pivot and take you for the next leg of the journey. So So, for everything that happened, I loved it. So what was it? I want to know what that payoff was. And I know what you're going to say, but didn't that feel more like just a, a dud, a thud to <laughs> it. We we're having these, all these episodes build up into finding Spock. And I think it was kind of like what we said a couple of weeks ago, you know, we know nothing's going to happen to him. So in my opinion, like when we finally did find him, it just didn't feel that substantial. O- okay. It's going to lead us to finding out more about the red angel. Yay. But otherwise, yeah, well, see, I, I felt like I uh, my, one part of my worry, like you said, was like we're building up to Spock. And, you know, we, we were worried that it was just going to be a whole thing about the search for Spock. But I think like I think they did a great job with the Spock reveal. It to me, in my opinion, it like th- that was not the most important part part in this episode. And they didn't make it out to be mm. like we found Spock. And it was great, and we get to see him, but they didn't like over dramatize that. Like, I think the the finding of Spock was more centered around the information we're getting from finding him, and that's what I liked about this. All right, I'm going to add just another layer to what you just said, Jonathan. Which is, yes, it did add another layer, and I think also an added layer to that was we once again see the mother pay, play a pivotal role in what's been going on with hiding her son from her husband, which 
you know, I, I, I thought the, you know, the whole story with Amanda just was really, really cool. And her interactions with Sarek was, was spot on. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And, and I want to agree with you, Cal, on it being a transition. I guess maybe that's what I should have used instead of being fill, using the word filler. It did feel more like a transition episode. It just didn't feel, feel substantial to me. I don't, I don't know. Cause I've been having so much fun with the other episodes. So we see what Burnham asks for a leave of absence to go to Vulcan. Uh, first off, I want to ask you guys, what do you think about the look of Vulcan when she first comes into the atmosphere with the shuttle? I thought it looked freaking beautiful. But what are you guys' thoughts on that? I, I, the initial sequence when she was landing the shuttle, which I, I agree with you, that was awesome. And that is a view of Vulcan we've never seen before. Every time I've seen Vulcan in any series, it's always been the way it looked when they landed at this temple Spock was held up in, like a orangish, reddish, desert-like yeah. area. But he, you know, in the beginning, we got like this technologically advanced, rainy looked like, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It, it was cool, man. I, I really enjoyed. It. And then there's security, I guess, around Sarek's house. That was awesome as well. Which it was interesting with the security, how she had to identify herself as either being family or Starfleet. And my thought when they said that was, would it have even really mattered? Would she not be able to see him regardless? I mean, with him being the uh, for the the ambassador, I can see why they wouldn't let just anybody uh, come to his house. I could see that reasoning there. And I also took that as kind of like a, you know, let, we just want to tell him what's coming, like what to expect. Like, mm. they're like, all right, Sarek, we have Michael here, but she's here on official business. Or mm. Yeah, I could, I, I could say that. So, Cal, you talked about Amanda Grayson and the fact that she's hiding Spock there. Um, let's just, you know, riff about her role in this episode. Let's just talk about like her justifications for holding Spock and also like the fact that she is stating that the her reasoning is that diplomatic immunity, you know, <laughs> which I just hate it. I hate it. Reason being, reason being, it has nothing to do with Star Trek, really. But I just hate whenever there's a movie where you see like this bad dude doing bad crap. And he's some foreign, you know, pol po politician or something. And he's over here on, on a, for diplomatic reasons. And to me, that reasoning just irked me just ever so slightly. <laughs> like, oh, I can get away with this because of diplomatic immunity. It just really didn't sit well with me. Mm. OK, well, then be glad you don't read Fantastic Four comics, because uh -oh. that's nine times out of ten how Dr. Doom gets out of nine times out of ten. Everything he does is because he is a monarch of a nation and wow. hence diplomatic immunity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I've just been calloused on that. Like you said, it's almost every movie that involves someone coming from another country's government. It's always been that like you can you can pretty much count on them at some point saying ah, diplomatic community. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, it didn't matter. It wasn't so, a big deal. 
I well, let me ask this question about diplomatic immunity because this is something I didn't know, and I wanted to pose the question: Is this the case? If the wife or the husband, depending on who the you know diplomat is, if the diplomat does not wish to exceed that immunity, and the spouse invokes that immunity, does the diplomat override that invoking? Hmm. Good question. Good question. Um, I think his reasoning, because he did mention that mention in their conversation that he wanted to override it or what didn't agree with it. I think that maybe because he's the actual actual diplomat here, maybe he has precedent to, <laughs> to maybe say, so. yeah, that's not why that's not what I want to do. You know, yep, maybe so, so that makes sense. But my question is, usually diplomatic community. Oh, well, I guess I guess it's a Federation issue. And I guess when you're talking Star Trek, everything's worldwide. But, you know, usually diplomatic community involves like you're you're not held accountable for crimes you commit in a foreign territory. But they're on Vulcan. Hmm, but it's a Federation crime, though. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a part of the Federation. I get what you're saying. I get what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, I got you. Like, and like I said, because you're dealing with the Federation and it's like not just a place, uh, not one single place. So, yeah, I guess it could ex- exceed boundaries and planets. But And the Federation being a member of the Federation does probably come with certain rules and regulations by saying, I agree to be members of Starfleet, hence the laws of Starfleet you must abide, or the rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah regardless okay. of what planet you're on. Agreed. So we talked about the, the Grayson, the Amanda Grayson, Sarek, uh, you mentioned it earlier, their dynamic, Kyle. So I want to just, just take a minute to talk about like their different approaches for <laughs> for um, protecting Spock. Because I think Amanda comes from very much, of course, they're mirroring their species a lot in this conversation because Amanda is mirroring that human love part of it. And she's going to do what a human parent probably would do, uh, protect their child at all costs, even when maybe the child is in the wrong. You know, you see that a lot. It's just a motherly thing, I think, for the most part. It's just a parent thing. I won't just say mother. It's a parent, a human parent thing for the most part. But I think on the other side, you see Sarek. Not only is he taking a Vulcan logical approach, he, he he's taking a being a diplomat. He's taking that approach because he knows it's the the right thing to do. You know, I, I think they're all coming at it from different points. Meanwhile, you have Burnham over here that's kind of torn between the two approaches because being raised Vulcan, she's she sees the logical side. But as well, she sees the love and the human side of it that. You know, she's kind of in the middle of them both. I, I, I just love that dynamic between the three of how they're all, all approaching this situation slightly different. I said that was a great interaction between the three. I, uh, but I'm, I don't know. I was, I guess that was kind of the point of it. Like Amanda irritated me. Me too. Me too. You know, I think they were trying to make a statement because even though Sarek is this high ranking Vulcan ambassador, you know, they're in a partnership and they're equal. And she definitely iterates that to him in a very, <laughs> in a very stern <laughs> way, uh, uh, lad. Um, but yeah, but she, she's not having it. I, I did not expect that from her. I gotta be honest. To me, her in season two is very different. 
But but I will say that she kind of has to bring that human side to the whole conversation because uh, Sarek is not going to have that at all. He's not going to have that emotional investment. He's not going to have that love that she has. So um, maybe with their dynamic, she has to push a little harder to get her point across. And I do get that. She did not irritate me in the sense of, you know, any of the things that she was doing. What I actually saw was here is this earth mother for lack of a better term that is on another planet with a child that is half Vulcan, half human experiencing difficulties unknown to most Vulcans because of not having to deal with the half and half of two different species. And I saw this mother struggling to take care of this child who in their eyes was, you know, disabled or uh, development, developmentally disabled or yeah. having uh, some type of handicap. And she's trying to take care. So does that make her a little bit more protective? Absolutely so. But, you know, for that, I think I respect her, not, you know, be irritated by her. But that's, you know, just me. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think that was kind of the, like all in all, that's what that's what I would expect from a mother. But and I think they just purposely wanted to kind of irritate us with it like it. You're like, really? Come on, quit yeah. being a mother right now. <laughs> but I mean, she was she was being true to her nature and I would have expected no less, but it was still irritating. Now, I will I will give this. I did not like the fact that we have been as a viewer searching for Spock, but she's had him all along. Now, I did yeah. not like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sarah calls both of them the task. Burnham has not told him about knowing that Spock uh, knew about the red angel, which you thought she, Sarek would have knew that anyway. But you also have where, you know, Amanda is keeping him in, in what a, a crypt or something for Lord knows how long and hasn't told her husband, which it, it seems very deceitful, but she knows that he's logic driven and that he's going to do the logical thing. And, and, um, she just chooses to keep that from him, which, you know, now on that same token, I get the feeling that Sarek is hiding something as well. Hmm. Hmm. Like, how did all of a sudden, like, his idea of, well, let's help him by sending him to Section 31. Like, he's already talked to Leland. Yeah, which that's going to play into the reveal we get from Giorgio. Because I think Sarek knows that Leland may have something to do with her parents. Oh. Uh, mm. Yeah, they said hmm. even knowing that, why would you send your son to him what? if he knew Leland was a was responsible for Michael's parents death? Why would he agree to send Spock to him? I don't know. That was just me guessing uh, that he may know. Um, I think, you know, I will agree with you. I think he knows more about Section 31 that than he's leading on. So I, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He, he definitely seems like he does know something. But that was just my guess on him knowing about Leland and Burnham's parents. Well, I mean, he's hiding something, so and that has to be it. Yeah. So it's, it's two more things I want to talk about this storyline real quick. Well, actually three before we move to the uh, Time Rift storyline. First, um, Spock in the introduction of this um, Latak or whatever it's called, the dys dyslexia-like disease. I hated that in this episode. 
Again, we've known Spock all these years, forever, and they introduced something that I feel like they just did it to, to have this payoff at the end of the episode. And, and, and if it had been a small thing, it wouldn't have bothered me as much. But to me, that's a very substantial thing about that character that they just threw in there. Just seemingly just for a payoff at the end of the episode. Okay, we've got to, like, keep this episode for uh, future reference because I don't think I've disagreed with you more times than I've disagreed with you on this one. But I totally disagree. I think that in Spock's mind that the Spock that we saw, it would be illogical to tell people in Starfleet, people that he meets, that he has a learning disability. That is illogical because that will change their perception of him possibly. So it would be illogical to tell. That's that's my take on the why we haven't seen it. From the perspective of Spock as a character, you're exploring, you're being the writers, the producers, the creators of this are exploring a side of Spock that we've never seen, which I think just broadens the character. So for me, I really like that. Hmm. And I don't think he would ever admit it because I think, I mean, isn't he part of like the Vulcan science, whatever community or whatever case may be like he he would not be allowed to serve if he had a to me, Vulcans would not allow him to serve if he had a learning disability. Yeah. I definitely see if you can overcome it, never bringing it up again. I, I, I do get that part of it. So, yeah, maybe it makes sense not to bring it up. But again, in this episode is brought up and hammered to hammered at us <laughs> the whole episode just for the payoff. That's how I feel about it. That's a, and it's not the it happens again in this episode of something they just hammer down our throat just to pay it off at the end. And to me, that's just like something the discovery writers do a lot. And I understand you're going to have things through the course of the episode that are meant to be paid off by the end. But to me, this feels so artificial. I can see that. I can see that. Like, I guess it kind of goes into the thing, like, just like the short tricks. Like, if you're not going to use it to build onto something else later, then it was a waste to start with. Yes. Just like in Doctor Who, uh, the character Ryan in the latest season has something called dyspraxia, which they do bring up a little bit over the course of the season, but they don't hammer on it. I guess part of it is him overcoming it. But to me in that there, it makes much more sense for the show to have that be a part of it. Whereas here, it just seems like it was just thrown in. <laughs> I don't know. It's now, I, I will give you I will agree with you that and give you that, because I think the difference there is you're taking a character of Spock that we have never seen having having this issue compared to Ryan, who we just met and immediately discovered that he has this issue. Yeah. And you know what, though, thinking of thinking back, thinking of it now, like a Trekkie would be concerned right now. Like that changes everything you know about Spock. It's core to his character. So, yeah, that would like really if they only did this to pay off on the end of an episode, you just changed the thought of Spock through an entire, entire like genre, <laughs> just yeah. about just for one episode payoff, yeah. and that would be a waste. Hopefully, hopefully it explains better next few episodes. Uh, yeah, may- maybe we'll see it again. And if we see it again, I think it will bode a little bit better. But we know we don't see it past this series, so 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna quit harping. Real quick, uh, we're gonna move on. But Alice in Wonderland. I never want to hear about Alice in Wonderland and Star Trek Discovery again. I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it. Never yeah. seen the movie. Don't care to see the movie. Haven't read the book, and I totally agree with you. It's pointless. Like I, I we hadn't gotten anything from it yet at all. So, what do we think? Giorgio's ultimate plan is we see Spock go to Section 31 ship. Um, he was finna get his mind wiped. Uh, Leland's going to turn him to a veg- vegetable, apparently, according to Giorgio. Uh, they spring him because Giorgio is the savior that tells Burnham what's going to happen. Uh, what, what do we think her plan is? I mean, she has this information against Leland and she's definitely openly defying him. What is what is her plan? Is is this just a setup for the Section Thirty One series that's coming up? Mm, sounds like it to me. Yeah, and I think that's to be expected from Mirror Universe Emperor Giorgio. Like her ultimate goal, and it always have been, was to be total control of everything. And why not start with controlling the most influential? group of people in the federation you know what i mean like that's the first step and she i think she's on like domination of the universe right now everything she does or this character does is strategically planned calculated and is a chess piece on a board that she's carefully moving each move that she does i mean she is in control of what she's doing and wanting to be in control, like Jonathan said, long term. I think everything she's done, she has done and will do is calculated. And I go back to man, I am loving this this Giorgio. Like I, I the Mirror Universe Giorgio is awesome to me. Like in every episode that we get her, it's she's getting even better. Yeah, like like I. The acting is perfect. The lines are great for her. They're very fitting. <laughs> I, I smile when she's on screen, man. Yeah, I do, too. Like, I do, too. Dude, that one scene where Burnham is making the, I'm holding up quotes, fake escape. And, and she fires the, uh, the, the, um, the, 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 the phaser at her. And they just have a look amongst each other, which is so great. <laughs> so great. like, really? And she's like, well, <laughs> you know, I had to make it real. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good, man. How about that fight sequence? Like that, I think that it was, was great. more than just a show. Like, I think they really worked out some aggression there. Yeah. That fight been building up for a while. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part. Of, one of my favorite parts of the episode was their showdown. I, I just thought it was great. <laughs> and was that not a great fight sequence as far as videography? Yes, yes. Oh, the the smashing of her head on the uh, display. Yes. They showed from behind the display. I thought that was so fantastic. Like usually, you you don't get fight sequences like this, especially in Star Trek. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there was not a lot of cutaways and. You know what I mean? Like they you can tell they actually choreographed this fight and they worked on it and they trained for it. You know, that was awesome to me. That was definitely one of the parts of the episode I was up cheering because I thought it was so great. Um, But 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 we we figure out that these numbers that Spock has been blurting out, if you take them backwards because of this uh, dyslexia like disease, that is actually coordinates to Talos four. What do you guys know about Talos for? I know, Cal, you should know something about it. Yeah, so, Jonathan, I'll let you take it first. 
Uh, well, I I have watched the Cage, which was from the original series, and I just I when they said Talos Four, immediately popped in my head Big Head Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, other than watching a cage once or twice, uh, and knowing it's an extremely powerful telepathic being, uh, that brings a lot of questions in a lot of questions. Yeah. So in the TOS episode, the menagerie part one and two, we learned that there's actually a general order for Talos for which is you should not go to Talos for. So I don't know if that's in place now at this current moment, which is, I guess, probably I'm calculating uh, maybe three or four years. Well, no, like three to four years after the cage, I guess. Um, Very good. So I actually did some look up on this. I actually researched this a little bit because I remember when you and I, Clarence, reviewed this if I remember correctly, one of my statements was it gave me a new appreciation for the original series that I never had before coming from it, from not just watching it, but watching it to review it. So I went back and did a little bit of research. So Spike, I mean, Spike, Spock and Pike, <laughs> I put them together and I guess they make Spike, um, have already visited Talos for three years prior in 2254 and discovery right now is currently taking place in the year 2257 so we're three years past and i also found out that in this reading that talos 4 is off limits to starfleet and is one of the only reasons that one can receive the death penalty if you go there yes yes because spock in in this in again in the episode of menagerie i don't really understand how it gets off because they kind of just they kind of just brush over it at the end of the episode, but Spock like commandeers the Enterprise and takes them back to Talos Four, and you kind of it's kind of a recap episode because you re- review the events of the Cage in that episode, and um yeah so so again like they stayed in the episode that the only people that have been there or the only ship that has been there in addition to the SS Columbia which I think crashed there um is the Enterprise. And, and you have that order in place, place and nobody else can go. Now, w- what I'm, what I think they're going to do to have Burnham and Spock go there, they're probably going to cover it in the guise of Section 31. We're never going to hear about it because of Section 31 for some reason. So that's why it's not, I'm holding up close again, on the books as being an official, you know, visit to that planet. But, mm. but anyway, um, let's go ahead and get into the other half of this episode which is the time rift put time in front of anything make it sound cool time lord uh, <laughs> there you go so man 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 it it does anybody besides me think tyler is just a huge jerk he got on my nerves in this episode ask tyler thoughts yeah i'm 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 going to switch back to agree with clarence mode absolutely <laughs> he was irritating totally irritating this episode uh the the you know i'm i'm going to be the bad boy pilot or the i'm going to um i I don't know try to question authority wherever i can i'm half klingon i can do that uh it's starting to wear thin man the dude (laughs) the dude throws his badge at pike i'm like you're like the ultimate a-hole dude (laughs) but 
Isn't not wasn't it awesome? My my awesome part, like Pike put him in his place just for one simple sentence. Like the cheer outranks the badge. Yeah. So like bag down, fella. That was good. Uh, <laughs> that was good. I mean, Pike handles him very well, and I, I he's not Ash is not that irritating to me. Uh like we mentioned in previous episodes, so I'm just kind of surprised that they like he's been, he's been written in as like he's just all Section Thirty One now. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he's he's been the character that's questioned almost everything this whole entire series, and now all of a sudden he's like one hundred percent section thirty one and all for the cause. Oh, I would just want to punch him in the face. He gets on my nerves now. I used to like him. I used to like him, man. Mm, I don't know. And where's the have has he learned how to control the bolt? part of him yet or they never explain it <laughs> yes and i think that's one of the reasons that he's irritating i mean one minute he's embracing you know he's on uh the planet with um oh a and he oh, is embracing being klingon and the next thing you know he's section 31 embracing being human i realize he's both but i don't know he just his character seems it seems to me is coming off less sympathetic and less developed this season than he did or was last season. Yeah, and that's that's kind of becoming uh, going to become a problem with me. Like this was like a major plot thing plot here of him being like Volk and Tyler at the same time, and now it's just kind of like no mention of it. It's over. And like, they're trying to write it out of our memories. And the same thing, I think we mentioned about uh, Stamets in the little, when he was in the mirror and you seen the second version of himself that hadn't like there, that's two things that stands out to me. That's not, hadn't been explained or hadn't gone into any further. Was It's funny. Cause those two characters you just mentioned, I don't think they have any idea what they wanted to want to do with them this season, especially Stamets. Cause he's not a bridge officer. He's he doesn't even know they've come up upon a time rift. Stamets doesn't know. He should be right. the first person to know. And like the right. fact that he's not on the bridge, it's just like he's like wandering the ship doing Lord knows what. And he's I don't know, man. He should be a bridge officer. I think. Yeah, I think he should. I was you know, like, who's the science officer on the? Oh, that's Burnham, right? Yeah, she's the, yes, yes, yes. And that's but, you know, thing. I think it goes back to something the two of you guys said last week, I think, which is that this season compared to last season, I mean, last season's narrative was this Klingon story and, and, and there there was just like a singular story going on, whether they were in the mirror universe, whether they were in the main universe, you had this single um, narrative. This season seems, yes, more connected. Ca- canon of star trek however it seems like they've got almost way too much going on not saying that's a bad thing it's just an observation that there are a lot of moving parts going on at the same time yeah and even with this episode i thought this episode was mild on a lot of stuff going on it's still once you really look at it it had a lot of stuff packed in it it really did so so you have this time rift and you have uh, Pike said, oh, I'm the man for the job. Let me go into this rift and investigate. <laughs> they launch a probe into it. Um, Tyler tags along, by the way, because Tyler thinks he's, um, oh, and this got him on there. I'm sorry. I'm just complaining today. Oh, <laughs> you're mad because you missed the war. 
he said that like a hundred times. I'm like, they're going to keep beating us over the head with this. He's mad because he meets, he missed the war. They said at the end of the last episode and they just are constantly beating us over the head with the fact that Pike missed the war. And what pisses me off about that to me, they only did it for the payoff at the end where, Oh, we've been through the storm together and now we're friends. You know, maybe you were right. I am mad because I missed the war. What? <laughs> okay. I just hated this guy. And <laughs> no captain is going to do that. Seriously. Do Can you what? picture Picard or could you picture any, you know, Janeway or any of the other captains going and saying, well, you know, you're right. I, I, I was mad because I missed the war. Not so quickly anyway. Not no. so quickly. I mean, I guess they did go through a life and death experience there. So maybe, you know, uh, maybe brought them closer to harmony and peace. <laughs> and I think that was more of a, uh, a Pike's just kind of realization that, hey, maybe I'm being immature about this whole Good call, Ash thing. Dude. Good call. Good call, man. Because, <laughs> you know, he, in in the ship inside the time rift, they had that little sequence where he could see in the future and the past and different times. And, you know, he sees a future situation where he's pointing a phaser phaser at Ash and shooting him. And it kind of didn't come into play till later. And he realizes, hey, I, I was doing it to save his life. But the initial thought he was I mean, his initial thought was. Hey, Ash is going to do something that's going to cause me to shoot him, and I expect it from him. Like, yeah. So, it, so it made him reflect in a sense, and I right. do get that. And you know, me being the immature person I am, if you keep telling me to do something or saying, keep saying that I am something that I know that's not, I'm just going to be ticked off. And he keeps beating, you know, Pike over the head with this. You're mad because you missed the war. But like you said, John, I, I kudos to you. He takes the grown-up approach and says, "You know what? You're probably right." <laughs> and uh, and that kind of conflicts with Kyle. I think that's exactly what a captain would do. Mm, like I, I can give you that. Like I think a captain would in, would be the first person to realize their error and try to fix it. But hopefully, he's still cautious about yeah. that relationship. Yeah. And I do think the moment of inner reflection you just brought up with him seeing his future self possibly shoot Tyler was what should have bridged that gap that maybe it was so quick that I didn't really even realize it upon watching the episode. But I think you're exactly right on that, man. Agreed. So we see future probe. That's what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Come back and attack the ship. Which leads to an upload into the shuttle, which leads an upload to Voyager, which leads an upload to Arium. Thoughts? To Voyager? I did I say Voyager? Wow. Upload <laughs> to Discovery. To me, I took it as the probe had been sent to the future and redesigned to go back and attack and get as much information. Oh, like, I don't I don't no. think it was giving putting information into the shuttle. I don't think it, it was uploading information into the shuttle. Oh, it was I definitely it was, it was definitely I, pushing the information into the shuttle. Yeah, I agree with. I'm going to go back and watch that. I <laughs> promise you. I think it was downloading information to send back to whoever sent it. Well, well the shuttle the shuttle blew up. So I mean the the probe blew up along with the shuttle. Right. So it didn't get back whatever it was. But the reason I mean the, I think the very cl- clear reason we see for it uploading to the shuttle. And then to Discovery and then to Arium, it's three dots that came on the screen, as well as the red flash in Arium's eyes. So Arium got a virus. So I'm going Correct. 
She's hmm. sick. Hey, but does does she not favor the Red Angel now? Yes, that's one of my theories. That's one mm. of my theories. Arium is the Red Angel. <laughs> Interesting. So if it indeed was an upload and the probe was re, re, re retrofit from the future, maybe it uploaded events to Arium and now she's going to become the Red Angel and try to save everybody from it. I can definitely see it being Arium, man. Though mm-hmm, it was kind of creepy the look she the look she was good giving. It was kind of creepy, but <laughs> but I do think she could possibly be the Red Angel, man. Is Don't it make... what species is she? Do you know? Do we know? She's cybernetic humanoid, I think. I, I wanna, think so. Yeah, I want to say humanoid, but yeah. I, I do think that this could also be a reason technology reverts as well. Is this? I'm calling it a virus or entity or whatever that's infiltrated the systems pretty easily. I'll add. I think it could be another reason for the technology reverting to a t- more TOS style technology. Huh. Interesting. Hmm. Which I will add, if you notice on the shuttle, as well as on the bridge in this episode, they took extra focus on the panels. Uh, Yeah, I saw buttons on the bridge that I'd never seen before that were definitely TOS style buttons. And on the shuttle, you know, the the gauges and things they were showing almost look like the Delta Flyer. So they definitely are putting a focus on TOS error um, controls. You know what? I did not notice that. And that's probably a good thing. Because, I mean, (laughs) if it if it had been too modern or too advanced, I think we would have noticed more. Yeah, I would have. I think you're both spot on, especially considering if you would have looked closely at one of those consoles that you would have seen over four different switches, the letters TNG, DS9, VOY, and ENT. Are you there serious? An, I'm not joking. There, There is a Twitter user call, named Jeff the Colonist, and he uh, took a picture, and I will uh, share this with you guys. And Clarence, you might want to use it on the website, uh, but I'll, I'll send it to you, that there is um, labels on four of these switches that have those letters, D, you know, DS9, TNG, VOY, and ENT on them. Awesome. That's pretty cool. That is pretty freaking cool. Good call out. And who was that? Who was that posted? Uh, Jeff the Colonist is the Twitter handle. Kudos to Jeff the Colonist. Yeah. And maybe, you know, we have to deal with this entity going into uh, to Arium. But, you know, I guess we'll we'll uh, see that in the next episode or in upcoming episodes as well. Um, I guess the only other thing I had was, of course, we have this whole time thing going on, which, you know, it, it did bring a large amount of drama to the, the whole shuttle sequence, which I thought was interesting. But ultimately, um, they get back to the ship because Stamets does what Stamets do. And, you know, being being uh, having this uh, tardigrade DNA, he's able to look through time and space and find the shuttle somehow, which you know, I, I, I bought it, bought it. It's Stamets. You know, he's believable. But at the very end, we see where this time tsunami almost gets the ship, but the ship takes off just in time, which is cool. But my, my thing is, like, wasn't like the planet of the Kaminar, like right beside the, that time rift? Like they didn't even <laughs> care about yeah. the They just yeah, ran. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. Maybe that's why we never hear about Kavanaugh again. <laughs> <laughs> you never see Saru species anymore. 
we come back there like a thousand years evolved and, and some <laughs> bad mofos. Oh gosh, that's so. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, this, the, I I still say this timer thing was. What purpose did it serve? I guess other than the the the, the upload download issue, like I don't think it solved much. I don't think it helped much. It brought Pike and Tyler together. Mm. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I still think it might be connected to one of the other short tracks that took uh you know, took place way, 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 way in the future. I don't know. I don't see how it can be it can be tied to to Calypso. I'm not sure. It's time though. Do what? It's time, you know. Time is, you know, you're you're thinking time linear. Or time could be all existing, happening all at once. And I know I'm thinking Doctor Who here, but still, it could be what's going on in the future is also simultaneously going on in the present. Yeah, like I don't know, I don't know. I see what you're saying. I mean, that's that that doesn't escape me. But I'm like, there's nothing in that episode specifically that I can see tying back here. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm just saying the, the the use of time, not necessarily. Oh, just use, yeah. Well, you know, does that a tie in? Could tie it, but but, but, it, but it could be if we see that tie in. I I, I still hold tight, and maybe I'm uh, you know grasping at straws here, but I'm still holding tight to they're not going to waste their time doing these short tracks if they're not going to have a payoff. Mm. So far, we've only had one payoff. Yeah, and and, and it's then, all. And the Tilly Runaway takes place before the season starts, so I think the payoff was just seeing her <laughs> in a short trip. Mm, maybe uh, so. so I, I don't know. I, I I wish they it would pay off, uh, but I don't know if Calypso is going to tie into anything unless Zora has something to do with what's going on. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, didn't we mention? Hey, hey, hey. Okay, so let's just throw this out here. It's a reach. Uh, what's the cybernetic humanoid name again? Zora. No, 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 no. The the oh, Arium, Arium. So if Arium was to survive that long, uh, to Zoro kind of learns how to defend for herself. Like maybe in the future, she repurposes Arium as the Red Angel to go back and fix things, so the ship wouldn't end up in the situation it's in now. Mm, as see, far as in Calypso, that is the tie-in I was looking for. <laughs> That's pretty. That's a good stretch. I like it. I said. I mean, I know it's a really far stretch, but I mean, it, it had. We have to tie these short tricks in. Like, I, I'm very disappointed if they don't. So, I'm I'm going to reach for everything we can reach for. Also, just I know this may be a little off subject, off more, but I kind of agree. I think you've mentioned before, Clarence. Like, or I think everybody kind of had a problem with the whole science babble with Stamets is involved. Uh-huh. Like, I'm kind of getting tired of it because hmm. and call me. Maybe I'm not smart enough to keep up with the conversation like the the like the interaction between he and Tilly, like they're spouting off so much scientific <laughs> crap that you can't even like it's just it's just pointless. Like, I love the science of Star Trek, but it's usually like slow enough for me to like, you know what? That could work. That's right. That's about right. Like now it seems like they're throwing it out so fast, like they're just trying to cover up the fact that it may not even make sense. Yeah, I, I, I do think they are throwing it out very fast, 
part of that identified by the fact that both Tilly and Stamets talk pretty fast. <laughs> uh, but in this episode, to me, it made more sense than it made even even in the last episode. I do like how uh, it was kind of justified by the fact that and they even brought up the 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 uh, Harry Mudd episode from last season that Stamets uh, exist outside the somehow exists outside normal time. If that makes any sense, he can remember right from that episode last season. So I do like that. They use that for justification of how he can peer into um, the, the future a bit uh, to find a shuttle. To me, I think that kind of made sense, but not really. Come on, it's Star Trek and this stuff we could never even phantom. But in the context of the show, I bought that. I mean, yeah. I, I, bought, I bought it, and it it wasn't as bad as previous. But I just, I just think back of like the Data and LaForge interactions, or the Wesley and LaForge interaction, or you know when we're dealing with O'Brien, and yeah. you know when they're dealing with a scientific problem or engineering problem. It's usually explained a lot more simple and how and it's one way or another. A lot of times it's the captain like, all right, tell me this in English. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So they kind of dumb it down for you to make you understand it a little more like here. It just kind of seems like they're and maybe it's just a call out to like those science science geeks that like are very big on science and tech stuff. And that's just I'm not that big into it. Dude, I love it, but I just couldn't keep up. But you're not wrong. Like even uh, think about the first episodes when Pike first jumped in the sport drive and he was like, you know, so I think somebody tried to explain it to him. It may have been Stamets. And he was like, just do your thing you do or something. Don't even try to explain it to me. I don't even want to know. It, right. You know? right. So I, I think that even in the realm of the other Star Trek characters on there, um, of course, Burnham is very exceptional. Um, uh, so is Tilly. So is Stamets in Saru. But, but most of the other guys probably are the same way. Like, yeah, cause you got to remember the mycelial. Uh, network is still something that's very new and still the discovery is the first of its kind. Uh, well, second of its kind, the other one exploded the Glen, but th- it, this is an experimental vessel. So everything they're doing related to the sport technology is still very new. And, you know, you have just some of the most exceptional people in Starfleet that are behind it. Right. So yeah, it, I, I do agree that it sounds like a lot of, pie in the sky stuff you can't even really follow but i don't think most of the crew on the ship can even follow it true story true true good point all right guys any other takeaway from the episode before we wrap things up um i think that's about it other than you know we mentioned at the beginning of the episode the preview for the next is setting oh. up a great episode man oh my god did you look at oh if if you just take some time to look at that next preview you know, we saw this this one octopus drone come back. It seems like I saw a scene where there were like eight of them in one one snapshot. You go look at it again. <laughs> huh. So these future drones, I don't think they're done. Spoilers for the next episode, guys. I'm sorry. Oh, but this sucks. but this is just a trailer. I mean, this is a trailer. So you saw it if you saw the episode. It's about to get bananas. So again, I will go around the horn and see what everyone is working on podcast later or otherwise. And we'll get you guys out of here. Let's start with you, Kyle, man. What are you working on, dude? 
Well, for anyone who is listening and would like to learn more about Doctor Who or is a fan of Doctor Who, you can check out Clarence and I, along with our friend Lee Shackelford, on Discussing Who. And that can be found, of course, at DiscussingWho.com. Awesome. John, what are you working on, man? Podcast related or otherwise? Or anything you just want to shout out? Um, Nothing much, man. I just started my second run through TNG. And I'm midway through the first season, so hopefully we'll get some <laughs> nice connections in TNG I can call out here. Awesome. And also, there's, for anyone out there listening who doesn't use streaming, which I guess you would mostly do if you listen to this podcast, but BBC is running a TNG marathon tomorrow, and it's focused a lot on da- data. Oh, so one of my favorite characters, so I will be tuning in to that. Cool. Sweet. Guys, if you are into audio on the Internet, audio dramas, you should check out our friends podcast called the Relativity Podcast, which is an audio serial for your ears and mine. And I am on that as well as Mr. Jones over there. So you should definitely check it out. Give a listen and give some feedback. Tell us how you like it, as well as giving feedback for this show, which you can do by sending emails into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hitting us up on any of the social medias at Discussing Trek. For everybody here, we thank you for joining us for this review. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.